Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 141 and I'm your host uh, Brooke McCallery and I'm here by myself this morning. Ben's been uh, been taken away from the studio, he's off at work somewhere and today is an unusually tight turnaround so anyway it's just me and my neighbour who's mowing which is always good timing so I'm sorry if you can hear that in the background. But today I have a wonderful conversation with Amelia Lee, who is an architect, actually. Amelia is the host of one of our our Jackrabbit FM programs called Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. And she essentially takes people through the entire process uh, and every every question, every issue, every, every consideration in creating a home either you know a new build or a renovation but from the perspective of someone who thinks that the most important job of the home is to support the kind of life you want to live rather than you know creating a home that is in keeping up with trends or the joneses or you know your upward trajectory into larger and larger properties and amelia is someone who i really wanted to talk to about the idea of home uh, partly because her philosophy on what a home is and and how to make it work for us is one that I really, uh, I really you know relate to very very closely, uh, and she's just got so much knowledge to share. She's been an architect for twenty years, but also because she she personally has a wonderful story of change and growth and evolution, uh, which we we open up by talking about, and I think it's one that that many of us can really tap into and find a lot of commonality in. Because Amelia was on, you know, a similar trajectory to many of us where it's just, you know, the steps of life are kind of laid out at, laid out in front of us and, and we're encouraged to you know, buy the first house and then renovate that and then sell and then get the next house and, and, you know, slightly bigger every time until, you know, she had a moment of realization in her life that really shocked her into questioning why. You know, and why is something that we talk about a lot on the podcast. So it was wonderful to to tap into both Amelia's story in uncovering her why or rediscovering it and, and using it to steer her and her family into a slightly different direction. But also how the idea of our personal why really needs to be at the center of the home that we, we create. So Amelia and I talk quite a bit about this idea of slow home design which, I mean, I share my, my blog and, and this podcast share a name with slow home design. But slow home design actually originated with a group of architects in Calgary quite a few years ago. And uh, their, their website is slowhomestudio.com. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But essentially, it's about how do we create spaces, um, you know, homes either from scratch that are simple to live in they're light on the environment or as light on the environment as possible and that are also the opposite to fast homes now fast homes are much like you know anything fast that we talk about it's mass produced it's perhaps lacking in quality or depth or consideration and there are consequences to that which are you know maybe they're not great to live in or the quality of craftsmanship and and materials isn't there but also this fact this idea that that a fast home is, is a cookie cutter home, you know, one size fits all. 
uh, the idea of slow home design really turns that on its head and asks us to question the spaces that we live in, how we're living in them, why we believe that they're important. And then they also offer some really practical ideas into how to maintain a home or create a home that maybe maybe you're not in a position to renovate or extend or build or move. So what can you do to make your current home slower to live in? So this is something I've written about on the blog over years, you know, in, in really practical little snippets. But Amelia and I talk about that quite a lot in today's episode. So I think we're going to, to pretty much dive into it. Before we do, though, I'd love to encourage you to check out Amelia's podcast, which is called Get It Right with the Undercover, Undercover Architect. Uh, it's one of our Jackrabbit FM shows, and she puts a show out every Tuesday. If you're thinking about renovating or moving or, you know, you just want to start thinking more closely about the design of your home, then definitely go and check it out. I'll put all these links in the show notes so over at slowyourhome.com slash 141. We're really getting up there with the numbers. Uh, and I'll also include links to the Slow Home Studio and a few posts that I've written over the years that encourage you to, to start thinking about the space that you're creating. Uh, and I'd also encourage you to check out Amelia's website, which is undercoverarchitect.com or undercoverarchitect.com.au as well. There you can find her links to her social media, Instagram, Facebook, all of those things. And just check out what she's doing because there's, there's absolutely a lot to learn from Ms. Amelia. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, enjoy our conversation. Have a great week. Happy International Women's Day. And I will talk to you guys soon. Hello, Brooke. How are you? I'm well. How are you? So well and so, so excited to be talking to you. <laughs> oh, no, it's so much fun. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. I mean, I think this is something that what we're going to be talking about today is something that I'm seeing a, an increasing interest in both our audience, but just in general, which is essentially how to apply the ideas behind slow living to the space that we're that we call home, you know, I mean, I talk a lot about decluttering and simplifying and, and the benefits of that, but you as an architect with, you know, 20 years experience have a completely different point of view and a different set of, you know, practical pieces of advice and actions that people can take. So, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about this. Uh, first of all, though, can you just kind of share with us a little bit about yourself and, and where you live with your family because it's a phenomenally beautiful place. <laughs> Certainly. So, yes, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm an architect. I'm also a, a wife and I'm a mum. I've got three young kids and and I own the business Undercover Architect. So I've had over 20 years' experience in the architectural industry and worked with lots of homeowners in lots of different capacities inside private architectural practice. I worked for a big development company for a long time and then also co-owned an architectural practice and uh, about two and a half years ago my husband and I um, we made the move to the Burren hinterland so for for probably nine years we got married in Bangalore 
uh, now almost 11 years ago and always dreamed of sort of moving to this area and raising our kids with lots of space and green around us, I suppose. And uh, over the course of about 12 years of living in Brisbane, we renovated three houses, had a baby each house, (laughs) (laughs) lived in these homes and they just got kind of to be bigger and bigger projects to the point where the last one was three and a half years um, and we turned a 100 square metre house into a home that was over 400 square metres. We lived in it for a bulk of the time. We had our third child and I also started an architectural practice in Brisbane with business partners and we got to the end of it and just uh, was like, what are we doing this for? You know, this was always about building up our own financial nest egg and getting to where we wanted to go. Um, but I also, you know, started to sort of question whether there was ever going to be a right time and we just mm. needed to do it now. And part of that was also travelling. I travelled to Uganda with the Hunger Project and Business Chicks and, you know, that certainly brings your own life into perspective. And so you came home from that trip and and um, made the decision to leave the architectural practice I co-owned in Brisbane and we then started putting everything in place to make our move, which we did two and a half years ago. And I started up Undercover Architect at the same time because I really wanted to make sure I could still work from home work flexibly and just impact and help as many people as possible um, create great homes and great places to live. So, yeah, it's been an exciting journey since then. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And what I love so much about your story is that it's, you know, it's, it's intention in action. Like you can see the trajectory, you know, and as you say, you were kind of building and building and building and these projects were getting bigger and bigger and you had a moment where you and your husband are like, why? why are we doing this again? You know, and it's kind of <laughs> that, that questioning, that, that moment that so many of us can relate to. I know I certainly can. When you look at, you look at each other and you hang on, what, what was this in service of again? Oh, that's right. Wind it back, you know, three or four steps. And that was sort of the, the why, but we, along the way, we, we often lose sight of that because we get caught up in, you know, what others are doing or what we should be doing or what success looks like or whatever the reason is behind you know, the continuously bigger, bigger steps and projects. So, yeah. And and I think too, it's only when you sort of get that benefit of hindsight that you can look back and see the smaller steps that kind of led to the big realization as well. So, you know, I remember I started taking a photograph of something that I was grateful for every day five years ago. And that led me to sort of being a lot more present in my day-to-day life, which at the time was three small babies and, you know, three small children and just a mess of everything bleeding into everything. And I felt like I was just missing all of it. Mm. And so that moment of looking for something to be grateful for every day just totally changed the way that I looked at my life. And then I remember a New Year's resolution being I was actually wanting to choose my life rather than it just happened to me. And and just these small steps of intentional kind of what's next and then, you know, signing up for the trip and all of that kind of stuff, just it's really interesting. I now look back and I can see this was brewing for a, long, a lot longer than it felt like. Um, so that the point when we actually – made I remember I finished up at my business at the end of the financial year on the 30th of June we found out the next day that this house that we'd been negotiating on for sort of three and a half weeks that they were ready to exchange it was just about to be school holidays the house was empty so we could move in before well, during school holidays before settlement and we moved a week and a half later and I was texting the kids school principal saying I'm sorry we're not going to be back next term we've actually moved into state and and our friends and I was posting on Facebook look at our new place and everybody was going what on earth happened you know where have you gone but it was just like it was such a foregone conclusion in our in our brains that it was like, well, this was always going to happen and we just kind of made it all happen really quickly. But for everybody else, it was a bit of a kind of tornado of (laughs) activity. So yeah, it's, 
I think you get the benefit of hindsight to look back and see that it is a slow, it's, it is a slow process. Mm. It just looks from the outside like it all happened overnight. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, and I think people will often look at moments like that, you know, like your from the outside, it seemed like a snap decision and think, gee, they, you know, Amelia is so clear headed, you know, she's so able to kind of <laughs> tap into her, to her why and then act accordingly immediately. You know? And yeah, the I reality is. You're so brave. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's, that's absolutely it. And I think that's so important to, to talk about because, as you say, it's not until you can look back and think, yeah, okay, sure, this might have seemed like it came out of nowhere, but it really was based on a foundation of many, many different small practices, many different, many, many changes, you know, to the way mm. that you were viewing the world, many experiences that caused those changes. And it, even if that moment of decision seems like it comes out of nowhere, <laughs> it very rarely does. And I think that's... Yeah. That's really important, but it's also, I think that's where longevity of these decisions comes from too, because it's actually not a spontaneous, hey, yeah, sure, let's move into state kind of thing, which I think there is a time and a place for as well. But, yeah. you know, I think, I think when it's, it's based on, on your values and a really close um, examination of those values, you can't go wrong. You really can't. Uh, yeah, I just find it incredibly, incredibly inspiring when I hear people talk about not only identifying those values, but then acting on them. Um, mm. You know, I think that's awesome. So I want to go back to your trip to Uganda really briefly, because that fascinates me. Uh, I mean, I guess, what was what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it's really hard to sum up into words. The 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 program is a leadership and immersion program and you sign up to it and you commit to fundraising $10,000 as part of going and then you, you fund your own um, trip. And I went with a group of 20 other women who'd all sort of done similar, you know, um, fundraising adventures. And the Hunger Project, I think I'd been looking for this for a while. You know, I had a, I had a miscarriage at the end of 2012 and I sort of unraveled a bit and um, somebody showed me this trip. And I remember saying to my husband around Valentine's Day, look, I just really want to do this. And at the time, yeah, we had a two, a four and a six-year-old. I was, you know, up to my eyeballs in a business that we were growing and, and we were renovating this huge house. And I remember he just looked at me and went, if you really want to do it, do it. And I think it was... I heard total support and love from my husband. I think it was him saying, I'm just going to get out of your way. <laughs> but, yeah, for me it was this journey of, you know, it's – I expected the fundraising – the fundraising was actually one of the hardest parts. Asking people for money is really hard and um, and you certainly learn about the people that you surrounded yourself with. So mm. um, that was a really interesting process. And then going on the trip, you know, the reason that I was drawn to the Hunger Project was because they, they believed that the key to ending hunger and poverty actually lies with those with educating and empowering those people who are most affected by it so they they work with different strategies in different countries that are really focused on unlocking what's possible in the people who have been experiencing generations of hunger and poverty in their lives and so and they also particularly focus on working with women because mm-hmm. they see that when they actually empower women, it creates generational change because they then educate their children and they they create sustenance for their entire families so I think that for me, you know, I went there expecting that we were going to teach a lot and it was such the reverse. I just, mm. I learned and you learn about, I remember specifically having an experience of meeting a woman who I was missing my kids desperately. You know, it was the longest and furthest I'd ever been away from them. And I met this woman who was, had a, 
had two small children with her and so I sort of went over to speak to her and we were travelling with translators and sort of going into villages and meeting people that were working with the Hunger Project and um, I asked her how old her children were and she had a uh, – she said they were four and two and so my youngest at the time was two and, and this two-year-old was about the size that my kids were when they were nine months old mm. and this four-year-old was about the same size as my two-year-old and it was mm. like that's what actually generations of hunger and poverty looks like. You know, that's what – it, it, it actually presents as, yet this woman just wanted to tell me about the fact she was growing crops for her family, that she had, was managing to send older kids to school. These two kids were the youngest of eight. She was supporting them plus five extended family members. And I remember just, and she was about a year younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I just in this moment got this, um, I still get really emotional thinking about it, this sliding doors moment where, look, if I, you know, so easily the universe could have played out differently and I'd been standing in her shoes yeah. and she'd be standing in mine. And he was her, you know, she was just telling me with fire in her eyes and pride about all the things that she was managing to do and change about her life. And he was me with all my education and opportunity and privilege putting all sorts of excuses in front of myself about why I couldn't change mine. And, hmm. yeah, for me it just through this light bulb on what is really important to you, Amelia. And yeah, you might have to have some confronting conversations and make some difficult choices, but it's a bigger, it's a bigger game that we're playing here. And for me, that was a really enlightening moment that just sort of set and train a whole heap of um, decisions that I made about, about, and that my husband and I made about our lives. So, yeah. I think that's so phenomenal. And I think that realization that the universe could so have easily made things uh, you know, in, entirely different for any of us. It's yeah. just that we happen to win some kind of arbitrary lottery of where we were born or to whom we <laughs> were born or to what in what yeah. era we were born in, you know, kind of thing. Um, I think that, that that really kind of sits us down hard. <laughs> it does. It's a rude, it's a rude shock. Yeah. It really is. And yeah, when I, when I, when I had that moment, you know, I make it sound like this great epiphany. I had, I think I, we still had four or five days left on the trip. I was a mess, mm. you know, I was just, and I came home and it was, a, it was in November. So I'd left and there wasn't really a lot of Christmas decorations around and all that kind of stuff. And I came home and Christmas was in full swing because it was the end of November. And I just came home and I remember, you know, it was lovely to come back to the kids and the family and and see my husband and all that kind of stuff. But I just was really struggling with where I sat in the world again. And I think it was 36 hours before I used the, you have no idea how lucky you are (laughs) argument and my children, (laughs) I was ready to cancel Christmas, you know, like it was just hard. And I lost a lot of friends over the next few months because I was really hard to be around as I just adjusted back to what did all this – you can't unknow that stuff and you, you can't. can't unsee it, no, you know. You so trying to figure out how all that sat in my life was so, so, so challenging. Um, mm. And, I, yeah, I was I was horrible. Like I've got to be so grateful to my husband who just kind of dealt with it all at the time and the very close friends who dealt with me being a total cow, you know, um, total judgmental. Oh, just, yeah, so I think that – um, but now looking back at it, it was all just so important in what I needed to learn and what I needed to say to get to where, you know, the, sort of to basically reset where we were moving yeah. and and how we were growing our lives and the kinds of parents and people and, you know, friends and, and um, family that we wanted to be. So, yeah, it's – it's I, I, and I don't think any of those lessons come easily. I oh, know certainly I need to learn everything the hard way. So. 
<laughs> exactly. And I actually think that you're absolutely right. They they don't come easy. And I think that if they did, then we probably wouldn't pay as much attention to them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that because when we're, we're, we're stunned into that kind of discomfort or discomfort is not even a strong enough word. It's sort of shame or, um, you know, anger or all these different kind of negative emotions that we're like, how do I deal with these? Where do they fit into my comfortable <laughs> life? You know? And I think, but I, I mean, I think I've come to, to believe that like privilege and the recognition of our own privileged existence is uncomfortable. Absolutely. Mm. In the face of people who've never had the opportunity to experience it in the same way that we have. But it it's only something to be ashamed of if we don't make it count for something. You know, yes. we don't do something positive with it. And what you're doing and what you did as a result of that and all the other work that you have done is you're now encouraging people to live a much more intentional values based life in you know and and reflecting that in the physical environment that they bring up their families in or that they entertain their friends in and that has an impact in the way people live in the world the way people view the world the way people treat each other you know and i think that um like the the environment that we create in our homes has a much bigger impact than what we might immediately think that it does is that something that you see in your work most definitely i think we vastly underestimate how much the environment that we live in every day actually impacts how we get to live outside of our homes and the type of you know the, the version of ourselves that we send it out into the world mm. and i fundamentally believe that our homes help us be the best version of ourselves when we design them um, and create them in a way that supports us living our best life and for me you know um, a home that's designed well isn't um, necessarily an expensive or a highly detailed or a, you know, kind of newfangled home that you see in the glossy magazine pages. It's, you know, great design is just design that helps you do your day seamlessly and live conveniently and have more fun and more beauty and more enjoyment and everyday joy in your life. And, you know, for me, great design is so good you just don't even notice it. You know, it's the stuff that just gets out of your way um, and helps you be awesome. So I think that, you know, and I, when I when I think of of our homes and the platform that they sort of, you know, they're the, they're often the stage for so many important um, memories, our Christmases, our family occasions, the, the sad times in our lives. You know, curled up on our bed in the fetal position, crying over something. Like we can always physically picture the space that we're in, and it's usually a home that we've lived in at some time, or it's even our friends' homes that we've you know spent a lot of time in growing up. So, I think that for my mind, we when we start to actually build or renovate our own homes, we don't necessarily tap into the significance that they play in our emotional sort of well-being because we seek sort of this physical projection of something in terms of how we think it should look and what it should, you know, sort of be wrapped up in. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting that you use the word should as well. <laughs> I think there's so much of what we do is based on that idea of should, you know, what Mm. it should look like, what a first home should look like, and then what a second home should look like. And almost always that should is more expensive or larger or shinier or newer or, you know, more on trend. But I I love that you said design is – it's invisible. A good good mm. design is is not something that you see. It's not like the wallpaper. It's not. Uh, I don't even know if people use wallpaper anymore. <laughs> it's not. They know, do. The, yes, okay. <laughs> it's not. You know. It's not the materials that we surround ourselves with necessarily. It's it's how it supports life, not the other yes. way around. You know. I yeah. think a home should support life. And 
I mean, I, I think that it would be really easy to write this off as kind of materialistic, but I, I really, I, I disagree completely that, that it's materialistic because so much about what slow living is, is about the living part, you know, the life that we're, tr- that we're trying to move towards one of depth and connection and, you know, kindness and relationships and all that, all that good stuff. And in order to have a life like that, we do need to support it with all different with many different measures. And I think that the space that we live in is vital to that. I think it really is. And I think too, we, you know, you look at the effort and energy and, and funds that are invested into the public places that we occupy every day, Mm. you know, to get them to work functionally and seamlessly in terms of being great places to occupy. So the libraries and the, the buildings and offices and the public squares and all of those types of spaces that have had lots of, you know, they always have highly qualified professionals creating them and lots and lots of money spent on them. Yet the thing that we, the shape and space that we come home to every day and that we raise our families in and that we, um, you know, spend a good portion of our of our lives in isn't created always with the same level of investment of energy and time mm. um, and effort. So and mindfulness, I guess, you know, yeah. and intention and really questioning, you know, what's the sort of life I want to live uh, and yeah. how can this space that we live in help us like, by supporting that, you know. And, and, and anticipate of, what we'll need in the future as well. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. I mean, so as an architect, obviously you, you help people design either renovations or new homes, new spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what you do in that regard, um, sorry, I'm, let me go back one step. This idea of the slow home movement is something that uh, was, was, I guess, coined by a group of architects in Calgary quite a few years ago. But uh, it's something that I was talking to you about recently. And, and while you didn't necessarily know about this slow home philosophy in terms of architecture it's all of the ideas are very it was so comforting to find somebody yes yeah the way that you work and the way that I hear you talk about the homes that you help people design that that's what it is it's Mm. it's being incredibly mindful of the home that you're you're creating but also the way that you're going to live within that home Uh, Mm. and there's no cookie cutter there's no one way to do that like it's not going a tiny house isn't going to suit everyone just like a big country farmhouse isn't going to suit everyone, but for for two different people, they're going to be the perfect kind of the perfect slow home. Mm. Um, you know, so when you and I were talking about this, there's a there's a few areas of, of slow home design that if you're not going to build a new house or renovate, you can't do a great deal about. But what are the what are some of the things if people are looking at moving or, or renovating that they can do to create a home that's going to to fit and sit in the environment in I guess the slowest way possible for me there's really three main things to look at so the first is to really think about what you want to achieve with whatever you're doing being a building renovating buying selling you know whatever this kind of next big step is what are the big picture goals that you're trying to achieve Um, because you're about to embark on a journey where you're going to be inundated with all sorts of well-meaning advice about what you should and shouldn't be doing, what choices you should and shouldn't be making and who you should and shouldn't be relying on. <laughs> and um, and it's it can just get so overwhelming. I think people, they think that renovating and building and buying and selling, they're just one big choice, but they're actually a whole sequential series of little choices that you need to make each step of the way and at any point you know then you might have 200 options presented to you and so Mm -hmm. to make the best choice for you is really about setting that framework and that helicopter view that you can always jump back up to and see whether the choices that you're making 
as you move along that path are in alignment with that big picture goal. And, and that's really about asking yourself, you know, what kind of life do we want as a family? How does this fit into our financial goals overall? Sometimes it's hard to sort of see whether you're going to be in a house for five or, you know, 20 years. Um, but I think that, you know, just making some intentional sort of under, thoughts about where you see your life heading and, and how, how you see a home supporting that really can then give some clarity as you move forward in that decision-making process. Um, so the second thing that I recommend that homeowners look at when they're buying, building, renovating their home is orientation. And so orientation is understanding how the sun is going to move across your property and which direction your house faces. And I always um, recommend that you look at which direction the rear of the house faces because that's generally where your living spaces are going to be and your garden and your outdoor areas. So um, the thing with where we live in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia is that our sun, of course, rises in the east and sets in the west and it moves through the north. And if we can actually create a home that responds to this movement of the sun and is designed to work with the movement of the sun, it fundamentally changes how our home feels and how we feel in it. So, you know, natural light is scientifically proven to uh, improve our well-being and our health. And when we can harness that in our homes and we can create homes that let natural light in, that uh, let warmth in when we need them to um, and keep the warmth out when we want to keep our homes cool, it, it's just, it's such a thing. It's such a great thing that you can do. It can save money in the ongoing running costs of your home. I think 40% of every uh, energy bill is for heating and cooling. So you can actually create homes that don't need that artificial heating and cooling all year round. Um, so understanding orientation and designing for it and, and buying a house that works with it uh, is a really great thing to do. And then the third thing I recommend is uh, looking for ways to create spaciousness. And you know, homeowners will always say, I want a light, airy, spacious home. But so much about spaciousness, and it's a lot of what you talk about, is about actually creating that mental and emotional spaciousness in the way that we live every day in our homes so that we can save all of that energy for the things that we actually need it for. So that's in, you know, sort of how do we get really great um, volume and light in our homes so that we get the spaces feeling the way that they need to. And then how do we get really good indoor-outdoor connections um, so that we're getting that natural light and that connection to green and outside that always makes us feel better. And then how do we create really good storage solutions that just work for the things that we need to store and that help us then, you know, just streamline our daily activities so that we always know where things are. We can lay our hands on them quickly and we don't have that kind of added stress of that kind of feeling of disorganisation and chaos in our lives just because we can't find what we need to to get things done. So, mm. And I think what I, I mean, what I love about particularly those, those last suggestions is that they're things that people who aren't in the position to renovate or, or move can also start to, to bring into the way that they live in their home as well. I think, I mean, obviously for me, probably the first step to, to creating that, that feel of, like spaciousness in a home is to just declutter, you know, by yeah. letting go of a lot of the excess stuff, we potentially can let go of furniture, you know, extra furniture that we don't need. That's something that Ben and I have done over the years. We used to have these yep. great big timber bookshelves that were just full of stuff. I don't know what was in it. I really can't remember. <laughs> None of it was particularly important, obviously, uh, you know, but not only letting go of the stuff that was in those shelves, but letting go of the shelves opened up this space to make it feel completely different to what it did, uh, you know, previously. And I think that's their ideas that we can really adopt from architecture and bring into just how we live in a space as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, storage and 
even just things like window coverings and stuff can, can yeah. also make a difference, can't they? And I think too, you know, the orientation one, even if you live in an old home that isn't or a newer home that isn't oriented correctly, I guarantee there'll be a place that you always gravitate towards mm. during the day, you know, a winter's morning where it's always nice to go and stand with a cup of coffee because the sun's just right. So it's not a big stretch for you to just make sure that you can then rearrange the furniture slightly, that you can actually put a nice chair there and a little a little table so that you actually have somewhere comfortable to sit and enjoy that cup of coffee in that space, even though it may not be able to be your whole living room it can still be a place that you can grab a moment and I think you know we live our lives at such a frenetic pace to just create spaces and places for those moments and for those places and spaces to just fill our cup as fast as possible because they're the light's right and the temperature's right and the view's right and you know all that type of thing they can just do wonders for how Mm. we feel about our life and our day and our home overall so yeah I love that idea of just having this little space that is basically, a, you know, a, like a, a shrine to, to intention. You know? <laughs> yes. This is how I want to live in our home and this is a little pocket of our home where it's actually applicable and I, I'm, I'm making that happen. I'm making that central to, to the way that I live in this space, even if it's only for five minutes a day yep. in winter where you sit in that sunny little corner and, and soak it in. You know, I think yep. those things matter. They, they genuinely really matter. Uh, yeah, know, and it, it puts that that value at the centre of what we're doing. Uh, and it doing, does. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I always ask homeowners to do when I first start working with them is I ask them to tell me what they really dislike about their house, and then I ask them to tell me what they really like about their house. And I think when we've when we've lived in a house that we know at some level doesn't work, you know, when we're looking to set, to buy somewhere else or to build or to renovate, we know it at, at a level that you know the house isn't working for us, and so, but it can just feel this like this whole overwhelming sense of this place is horrible. I don't I don't like living here. I'm done with it, you know. But when I think that we actually – I always encourage people to be design detectives. The slow home philosophy architects, they talk about it as thinking like an architect. Um, mm. But I – you know, in Australia we have such kind of loaded language around what the word architect means that I think that to just be a design detective in your own life and actually examine your life and how you move through your home and what is it that – is actually getting in your way. And then what is it that's making things work for you? You know, there will always, even in the worst homes, there will still, when people do this exercise, they always find the things that they actually do love. Mm. And and it just changes. It's that whole thing about what you focus on grows. So, you know, I know the house that we're living in at the moment, we bought it because it ticked a whole heap of boxes, but there's a lot of boxes that doesn't tick, you know. And, and, um, and so, being the architect, you know, I have constantly looked at this house as a renovation exercise and I walk around every day going, okay, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change this. But I know renovation isn't possible for us for a few more years. And so, you know, I over the Christmas holidays, I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm My whole perspective on this house is being impacted by how I want to change it. Let's actually look at what I love and then let's enhance what I love. And so mm. did a couple of projects over the holidays where, you know, $100 on paint here and there and just, you know, that decluttering, reorganising furniture, and it it just fundamentally changes the way that you feel about your home and then how you feel in it. And um, I think anybody at any level can do that in any home that they're living in. Yeah, and I think that's just a mindset shift as well, isn't it, from one of, um, you know, scarcity, like I want this Mm. thing that I can't have, to one of abundance and contentment. And sometimes that's as simple and I mean, not necessarily easy, but simple as as flipping that that mindset around to saying, okay, what what do I love? What am I grateful for? What is working? 
and not focusing on the things that aren't or the things that in an ideal world you'd like to change. And I think that that by just, you know, taking that idea of mindfulness uh, practice to the home that you live in and just say it's enough, you know, for right now mm. it's enough and just be content with that is really important as well i think in in finding a peace in the home that you the home that you actually have not the home that you wish you had mm. yeah um, i think one of the other fundamental elements of slow home design and one of the things that i really love about it is it's um you know it really focuses on becoming a, a good steward of the environment and you know minimizing environmental impact Aside from, you know, lighting, heating, cooling, which you've, you've already covered, what other things can you do in a home that help to minimize the impact of, you know, our environmental footprint, which we all have, you know, we just want to make it as small as, as possible? So I think that um, the first thing, of course, is just setting that intention about, you know, how much, how much do you actually need? Like what kind of home size home do you need to to actually support your life? I think the default or certainly the default brief that most homeowners I speak to these days, it's the four bedroom, two bathroom, two living, two car garage house. Mm. And they'll go to the ends of the earth to create that, be it stretching their budget, you know, squeezing things in a space that it really shouldn't be. And to the point where most garages around Australia are bigger than the living spaces of our homes, you know. So um, the, the space that we accommodate our cars in is bigger than what we accommodate our families in. So it's, you know, it, it, I think that when you actually say, look, do I do I definitely want all of this space? To me, it's, it's a really good first step in mm. – and creating that kind of idea of sustainability. When it comes to environmental sustainability and those types of things around building and renovating, it's often got this such a green tilt to it and it's seen as this kind of front uh, frontier technology of, you know, recycling your toilet water to run your, you know, air conditioning system and all this kind of stuff and it doesn't have to be that hard. Certainly there are uh, segments of the community that really want to create homes like that, but for, the, for most people I think that... Certainly the orientation is one of the, mo the most significant things that you can do to just get a house working sustainably and using the energy and um, light of the sun to then cut down your running costs mm. of um, electrical light and and your heating and cooling. So, And then, of course, it's looking at the types of materials that you build with and both from a thermal mass point of view. So what, what, what can you do to actually create some heaviness about your house so that it maintains an even temperature whilst the outside temperature um, changes and fluctuates? So that's things like putting a concrete slab on ground, then keeping that slab shaded during summer so it stays cool and then helping sunlight come in in winter to warm it up in the morning so that it then maintains a warmer temperature during the day. And then looking at, you know, how you can insulate your home really well. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean double glazing your windows, but definitely looking at what window furnishings can you put in so that as the day starts to cool at the end, you can drop the blinds and keep that warmth inside. And then I think too, it's just looking at what appliances you choose, um, how can you reduce your energy loads overall, and then how can you be intentional about how you live in it? You know, mm. do you really need the air conditioning unit on? A lot of people will just end up air conditioning their homes by default. If you design a house properly, there's pro you know there's only like those really horrible hot days that we had recently that you might need to turn it on at the end of the day. The last house that we create, the, we renovated that house that we turned into a 400 square meter house. I put air conditioning in it because that's what the market expected, and we mm. were selling it to to as a as a renovated home. Um, but when we lived in it, it was a five bedroom, three bathroom, three living 
room house with a pool, big house, and we we only just put the air conditioning on in the evenings to knock the temperature down because the kids were going to bed at, you know, sort of 6.30 and it was obviously, you know, hot day, hot cooks, um, those spaces, and the air conditioning would go on for half an hour and our energy bills every quarter were $500, mm. you know, so... Um, most, a fully air conditioned home where the air conditioning is running all the time, your electricity bills would be two and a half grand a quarter. So yeah. it's, you know, it's a big significant difference that you can make at the design stage to whether or not you need it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the other thing that we sort of have touched on really briefly is this idea of, of trend based homes. You know, I think yeah. if, if you start to bring too many trends in either in just, even just your furnishings or the materials that you use or the you know, if you're designing or renovating or, 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 you know, changing your house in a significant way by doing something really trendy, like you're <laughs> guaranteeing that it's going to be dated. Um, mm. You know, is that something you try and steer people clear of by, by kind of going with timeless things or things that work for you? It doesn't matter what they're doing in the magazines at the time. Yeah, I think it. I think we've fed this diet of you know glossy magazines and reality TV, where design is seen as this exercise of rearranging boxes on a page and then mm-hmm. choosing really beautiful finishes to to deck it all out. And design is far more than that. And I think that when you get the bones right, then literally you can put any finishes on it, and the design should still work. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And I think that your tastes change over time as much as trends change over time and your needs and how your fa- your family will need your home to perform will change over time as well. So I always recommend that people design for and choose materials based on durability yep. and maintenance. Um, if you're a family in living in a home, trust me, you just don't want to be looking at a deck that needs to be refinished every three months in order for it to look any good. You know, it will just exhaust you yep. to think about the fact that you've just got another job to do on the weekend. So, um, um, you know that, and sitting underneath a beautiful light fitting that you've blown your budget by four thousand dollars to choose is not going to fill you with a, fe- a feeling of relaxation long term. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah. a case of, you know, um, really assessing what does your home, what job does your home need to do in your life? You know, it needs to simplify it. It needs to make your life easier and more comfortable. Um, I think we wrap a lot of status up in our homes. Mm-hmm. That's all about how other people think of them, and we also want. I have a lot of people saying to me, I want my home to be something that I'm proud of. I've lived in this home where I can't have friends over. I can't have, there's no place to entertain, you know, and so much of our life with little kids in particular is having friends over because you can't really go anywhere with a tribe of children. So, you know, you want a house that's going to help you do that. But that doesn't mean that it has to have the latest furnishings furnishings or light fittings or um, expensive kitchen. It just needs to work and it can work with really simple neutral palette and with really durable materials that will stand the test of time for you, will handle toddlers bashing into them, you know. <laughs> and then, you you know, you can add the, the funk and the personality in your soft furnishings or in a splashback tile that you can pull off in five years' time or in a paint colour that you can then, you know, never. I always recommend don't paint your whole house in a scheme. It can cost a fortune. It can cost $20,000 to get a house painted because of all the scaffolding that you need. So, paint your front door an awesome Mm. color you know and then you can repaint it in a weekend it's those kinds of choices that are all easily replaceable over your lifetime in your home our homes last for decades but our tastes don't so I think that making simple choices to add personality and quirk where you can change it 
you know, should you need to, um, is always a better choice and choose for durability and longevity with everything else. Yeah, I think the idea of durability and longevity is probably one of the most important things that we've discovered as well, just mm. as we've shifted the way we live in our home. I mean, uh, you can make little changes that change the way you you, you feel in a space or live in a space as you're, like for us, as our kids have gotten older, the way we've furnished and like the, the furniture that we're using and the way that we're using it is different. But I guess it's the same kind of concept that I talk about whenever we're buying anything, you know, you buy the best quality that you can afford, uh, you know, which doesn't necessarily reflect in the price, mm-hmm. but more so in, in the materials and the construction of things. And that automatically, providing you're not going out and, and replacing it every three months just on a whim, that automatically just reduces the impact that those resources are, are you know, having on the environment and your bottom line and you know, bank account, all of, all of those things too. So I think that that's, yeah, that's super helpful and practical kind of advice for people. Um, and also just you know, ignore, <laughs> ignore the trends, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like going back to what are you seeking to achieve? And, you know, are you seeking to achieve to have a ridiculously large mortgage for a very long period of time so that your house looks a certain way for that time that you might have a whole heap Mm -hmm. of people over once a month? Or is it so that you can actually enjoy a comfortable space to be at home with your family and not be stressed out financially and, you know, not have to work those extra hours to keep on top of everything and, you know, leave your job when you hate it and all that kind of stuff. Like it just stems into so many things. And I think, I think the biggest hurdle that we have is that what we, when we are building or renovating, it's often in, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that a lot of people are dealing with, which is generally borrowed money. And because we never see it as a pile of cash sitting in front of us, it's, it's overwhelming and it's not real all at Mm. the same time. So, we I really encourage people to think about it, you know, in terms of if you were handed, you know, $200,000 in a suitcase and told to invest it, you know, how many people would you need to speak to and what level of expertise would you need to tap into before you could make an educated decision about where to invest it to get the biggest return? And, you know, you wouldn't do it like tearing off a Band-Aid or just looking through magazines or, um, you know, that kind of stuff. You wouldn't ask your uncle, you know. Say, what they, what you are know, you doing like, on reality TV? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's watch the block and <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah, so I think that um, – I think that we need to picture the money that we're spending like it's a big pile of cash in front of us and just try and sit with that as scary as it can be. It just will help us make much more intentional decisions and and really make sure that we're investing where it's really going to have an impact on how we get to live. You know, I was one of my latest podcasts, I share some research about uh, in the States where they actually analysed um, a group of, I think, 32 families about how they live in their house. And they marked out their sort of movement through a house over a two-day period of waking hours. And they found that the the bulk of the time in the house was spent in 37% of the floor oh. plan, I think. Wow. It was all around the kitchen family dining area. And yet we'll create this beautiful ensuite or we'll create this incredible formal living room or this big theatre space or, you know, all these things that we might use for a couple of hours a week. And then we'll push and pull our floor plan to fit it in and we'll push and pull our budget to pay for it rather than investing in just a really good volume of space, light filled, good indoor outdoor connection for those main areas that we always occupy mm. and that we that really actually change the way that we live in our homes and that we feel generally overall. So um, yeah, I think that I think this whole 
trying to get bang for buck and trying to do it as as economically as possible is really about just being intentional about where is it going to give you the biggest yeah. return in your lifestyle. So, yeah, absolutely. But, I think the, the, that idea of intention. I mean, un, it probably is unsurprising, but that's, <laughs> I just think that that is just the cornerstone of all of these decisions. You know, regardless of whether we're talking about home or our time or you know what we're what we're doing with with our time, but I think it's just so vital to just question why you know and really as you say weigh up between the benefit of having that thing in the moment which might be really nice in the moment to the to the cost of having to pay for that thing for the next 30 years you know and I think that having that that awareness is so important uh, in, yeah, in and you may things. find that the four-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-living, two-car garage house is is what your family Absolutely. needs. But yeah. at least you've made the decision intentionally. Yes. And, and you know, my experience is that, you know, people always say, look, renovating and building takes twice as long as you expect it to and costs twice as much. But what I'm finding throughout my career is that people come to renovating and building thinking it's going to cost half as much as it actually will. <laughs> and their budget is generally 50 to 75% of where it needs to be to meet their wants and aspirations that are sitting in their brief and then they expect to be able to do it you know in the very very quickly Mm. and yet they might have spent three five ten years sort of thinking about renovating or building and googling and you know researching and watching tv and all that kind of stuff and yet when they actually make the decision let's do this they there's an an incredible impatience because of course you just want to be in the finished home you know so i think that it's that you know that slow home thing is as much about just slowing down and and thinking about things with the same level of care and consideration um, that you would any really big important decision in your life and and it can be super challenging to do if you've never done it before because it seems overwhelming and the the, the stories out there is that it's always a disaster and it always has to be terrible and it always has to be stressful but I for every stressful scenario I know one that's gone really well and it's happened because the homeowners have understood that they need to get really informed that they need support and help to do it and then they've been really engaged and made choices intentionally throughout the process and and done that journey with great intention so yeah it's um intention's always hard to choose when it's a thing you haven't done before so you know in any journey I think um because you're uncovering a whole heap you're outside of your comfort zone the entire time you know so it's um which loops us back so beautifully to the beginning of our conversation you know (laughs) (laughs) I just think that there's so much to be gained from those moments of you know questioning and and realization Mm. and thinking oh oh, wow, we were kind of veered off track, haven't we? That's uncomfortable to realise. But, you know, I think the benefit of recognising it um, lies in the fact that it then allows us to act and change and and shift and evolve and and grow. Uh, Yeah. It's, and understanding that it's doable, you know, yes. like it's it's all figure outable, you know, it's it is all doable. So it's just choosing to care, really. So, mm-hmm. and it's your home. So you're worth it. You so deserve it. You know, you deserve a home that works for you and makes your life better. And it's possible. So you know, don't don't ever let anyone tell you that it's not. It's just a case of working out what that means for you. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, thank you so much, Amelia. Uh, this has <laughs> That's been, my pleasure, bro. It's been wonderful. So um, I'm going to have some links in the show notes to your social media and your wonderful podcast as well, Get It Right, uh, with The Undercover Architect. But where can people head if they want to learn more about you specifically? 
Um, so undercoverarchitect.com and undercoverarchitect.com.au both find me. There's truckloads of information on the blog. I have a serious commitment to help people at all budget levels um, create homes that make their life better. So um, head there and spend some time having a look around there and you'll, at the very least, you'll learn an enormous amount to help make your renovation or building journey better. Absolutely. Thanks, Amelia. That's my pleasure, Brooke. Thanks so much for the opportunity to be. I love you. I've just been such a fan of you guys for such a long time. I think you're doing really important work and I'm very grateful that you just continue to keep getting up and doing it. And um, I feel very fortunate to be on Jackrabbit and to be part of your um, network and, and, and part of your journey as well. So thank oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> I meant to finish the conversation by singing your praises. Beat <laughs> <laughs> <Did> you to it. <laughs> Who is that? Hi, Papa.